Once again, we're so glad that you are here. And when Keenan and I discussed several months ago the direction of this particular series about characters in the Bible, we knew that eventually this particular individual was going to come up. And there's so much meat in the course of his life that you can learn from. And I think sometimes we sort of just glaze over and we look at one story or another story and we don't look at the whole body of work of a person's life. And, and sometimes we make a judgment call and we write someone off maybe because of one stumble, one fumble, one flop or one failure. And I pray that today over the next few minutes as we learn from the failures of Peter that we would recognize that when we have people in our lives, whether it's family or friend or even foe, that we would know that love covers a multitude of sins. I think when we are younger and we're aspiring to get that first job and we fill out the job application, we uh, you know, do our very best on the resume with our limited experience, we, we have a tendency to sort of give our background. Well, we see the background of a fisherman turned apostle. You see, Peter never attended Bible college. He never went to seminary. He was not a part of any of the rabbinical schools of the day. He was a simple fisherman. But oh, how God used him in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Peter's name is mentioned more times in the Gospels than any other person besides Jesus Christ himself. Now, like I'm from Athens, Alabama, he was from Galilee. He was a fisherman by trade. In fact, it was his family business. The Bible records in Mark chapter 1 that he was married, but there is no mention of children in Scripture. And just by reading the canon, the Holy Writ, we know in the Gospels that he was likely the leader or the spokesman of that young group of disciples. Now here are some declarations. No other disciple so boldly professed Jesus Christ as Lord, and yet no other disciple denied Christ so convincingly or as publicly. And one of the things you've got to love about the Apostle Peter is that he was curious. In fact, he asked more questions in the Gospels than all of the other disciples combined. He was also impulsive. He was often outspoken. In fact, if there had been internet and social media in the first century, hmm, I think Peter would have been guilty at times of writing something down in anger and hitting send, and then regretting that he let his tongue get in front of his brain. But yet, Peter, out of all of those things that would surely disqualify him, I think the Lord recognized that he was a bold witness for himself. So before I jump into parts of Peter's life, we need to be reminded that Jesus loves imperfect people. And when I looked in the mirror this morning and I was getting ready for our time together, because I'd been camped out in this text and camped out in this sermon for several days, I'm so grateful that God loves me and my imperfection. And maybe you've walked in here today and you've never ever achieved the amount of success that you thought you should have or could have because of one reason or another. So you consider yourself a failure. Let me remind you that failure is a verb, not a noun. Failure is not a person. It's something that we do or lack of doing. So I declare before you today that we can learn some great lessons from the imperfections 
of one Apostle Peter. The first one is that Peter pushes back against the reason why Jesus came to begin with. We know that he came to seek and save those who were lost. He came for the cross. And when Peter steps in the way and sort of interferes with that, with his words, what does Jesus do? He severely rebukes Peter. Matthew chapter 16, verse 23, which simply states, But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You know, what has been very easy to do during this pandemic is start thinking about the things of man instead of the things of God. We've gotten all caught up in survival mode and we've forgotten to read the Word. We've forgotten to do our proverb every day. We have forgotten to study our Sunday school lesson. We have forgotten the intimacy with God that maybe we had up till the first part of March. And then when all of this hit us, we've just sort of been in a slow drift away. Maybe today Jesus is rebuking us. Maybe Jesus is reminding us we need to come back to him and begin dwelling once again on the things of God instead of on the things of man. Secondly, Peter and the disciples try to keep children from coming to Jesus. So what does Jesus do in Mark 10? He actually rebukes them. Verses 13 and 14. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. That reminds me of a story. W.A. Criswell, who was the famed pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas for many, many years, I think well over 45 years. Uh, Dr. Criswell was preaching one Sunday morning, and a child comes running across the front of the altar on their television ministry that not only reached Dallas, but all parts of Texas and places beyond. And, and Dr. Crystal steps out from the pulpit and runs down and meets that child. A lot of people thought that, man, Dr. Crystal's going to get a hold of that little boy. Dr. Crystal just keeps on preaching, and he reaches down and ties the little boy's shoes, then pats him on the head, and the boy runs off, and Dr. Crystal just keeps on preaching. I, I think all of us recognize Jesus loved children, and he wanted the children to come to him. And the disciples rebuked those parents that were trying to get their kiddos to Jesus. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and he said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. That's why we're excited about virtual vacation Bible school. We're excited about those, those craft bags. We're, we're, we're excited about being able to minister to our kids. We've been trying to minister to you adults. Andy and Josh and Michael and those guys have been trying to minister in children's church on Sunday afternoons. We're doing the very best that we know how to do right now. But yet, let the children come to me, Jesus says. And I pray that we will always be found faithful to do that. Thirdly, Peter resists Jesus when he says that he is going to wash Peter's feet. Y'all remember that narrative? John chapter 13, Last Supper setting. Oh, Jesus is washing the feet of all the disciples. And he gets to the apostle Peter and he goes, no. In fact, look at John 13, verse 8 and 9. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. It was almost as if Peter had this DNA about him. He was always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. And yet he, he recognizes that Jesus had to wash his feet because it was part of the process leading to the cross. And then fourthly, 
Peter failed to stand with Jesus after his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now this one really doesn't make sense to me. Because remember when the troops arrived in the garden, the disciples had been napping. They get up, they awaken from their nap, and, and Peter actually takes his short sword or knife and cuts off the ear of the servant Malchus. And then, of course, Jesus again comes behind Peter, cleans up his mess, takes that ear and puts it on the side of that servant, and his ear is completely healed. But yet later on, Peter is guilty of denying the Lord Jesus. Notice it with me in Matthew 26. It says, Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. And a third time he says, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus that before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. These are only four instances out of 13 different failures that we find in the life of the Apostle Peter in Scripture. Now, you may say, well, Joel, I failed a whole lot more than that. Well, of course you have, and so have I. But see, they're not going to write down our failures and still be preaching about it 2,000 years later. But for the Apostle, we can learn from his failures. We're not to go down that same road, if you will. In fact, these four areas touch on decisions and emotions that all of us could fail in. You, you ever had an opportunity to really stand up for a buddy and you didn't? And later on you knew that you should? Of course you have. All of us have walked through these similar pathways. Sir Winston Churchill, who served as the Prime Minister of England during World War II, said this, Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. But every time you and I fail, the devil tells us you're a nobody and you're no good. You just need to quit. You need to stop. Quit listening to that nonsense. Let's heed the advice of Sir Winston Churchill. Or motivational speaker Dennis Waitley says, Failure should be our teacher, not our undertaker. You see, failure is delay, not defeat. It is a temporary detour, not a dead end. Failure is something that we can avoid only by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. And let me tell you, I got over that a long time ago. I realized that my life was going to be doing something. I, I thought uh, maybe for a period of time it was going to be working at Steelcase, producing office furniture. And if the Lord had left me there to be a witness for Jesus all these many years, I, I would have been fine doing that. But God says, no, I put something into your DNA. I can't help but say something. I can't help but do something. And I praise God that hopefully all of us heeding this call today that we will never be satisfied of being nothing. Some of us are familiar with Thomas Edison, the great inventor. I love his quote. He says, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that it won't work. You see, many of us would have long quit, but not Thomas Edison. You know that he has over 1,093 patents and inventions? You know the way that he was able to do that? He never quit when he failed. Some of us were right on the verge of a great success, and we quit. We stopped. We surrendered. You, you stopped just short of getting that degree. You stopped just short of this, that, or the other. I want to encourage you today, quit quitting and start moving forward and keep moving forward for the glory of God. So my remaining time, I want to focus on a very well-known narrative 
about the Apostle Peter. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew 14. If you don't have your Bibles, your smartphone, your iPad, your Kindle, that'll be fine. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. Now let me give you the context. Peter has had a tough day. He's found out his buddy John the Baptist has been beheaded by King Herod. He's, he's ministered with Jesus, feeding over 5,000 people. And now he is about to be asked and commanded to go into a storm. He's going to go into a situation that's going to change his outlook and life forever. Pick up reading with me in verse 22. The Bible says, immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat. Where, what, what body of water were they on? They were on the Sea of Galilee. And to go before him to the other side. They were headed to Capernaum on the other side. While he dismissed the crowds. Now, since we have the benefit of knowing the end of the story from the beginning, let me give you a point here. Sometimes we are led to places that will challenge us. Most of the time, we want easy. We want the easiest route. We want the easiest road. The more I read Scripture and the deeper I get into it, more times than not, the Holy Spirit leads us to places that's going to challenge us. So we should not aspire for that which is easy. You don't grow going through easy. You, you grow when there's resistance, when there's something coming against you. And that's exactly what Jesus did by telling the disciples to get into that boat and head down to Capernaum. And after Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Jesus, once again, gives us an example of spending time with the Father. Even though Jesus was the Son of God, even though Jesus was God in the flesh, he spent time with his Father in prayer. How's your prayer life during the pandemic? Have you prayed more or have you prayed less? We just need to consider that. So when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, the ship that he had asked the disciples to get into and head down to Capernaum by this time was a long way from the land. You know, the Sea of Galilee is 64 square miles, 13 miles long, 8 miles wide. So we're, we're talking about a, a huge body of water. And this is what was happening on that body of water. The Bible says they were beaten by the waves. The Greek word for the word beat means to be put to the test. You ever been put to the test? Of course you have, athletically, academically, financially. With your family, with relationships, of course, all of us have been there. Sometimes we are beaten by the waves. Even those closest to Jesus endure hardships. If, if you've ever been a part of a theology that says, oh, if you'll just give a whole lot of money, oh, if you'll just be faithful, you'll never have problems, you'll never get sick, and you're going to drive a Bentley one day. That's a lie. It doesn't work that way. Listen, we find guys that were closer to Jesus than anyone else, and they went into hardship after hardship after hardship. And sometimes I don't understand why people that I know and love walk through the valleys of the shadows almost all the time, but I know how much they love our Lord. But I know that Christ will sustain them through that time. Listen, some of us are being beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. That's the only way that a kite will get airborne. The wind has to blow against it. For some of us in this room, in order for you to achieve the potential that God has for you, the wind's going to blow against you most of your life. Because if the wind's not blowing against you, you're going to get lazy, you're going to rest on your laurels, and you're going to kick back. Is there a time to retire one day? I hope so. I Listen, we, we had Danny late in life. I'm going to have to preach till I'm 94. Amen? 
But I'm going to be faithful doing it until it's my last sermon, until it's my last time. But here's the thing. All of us in this room, when the wind blows against you, there's a reason. God has a purpose for it. God has a plan for it. Now notice what happens. Story's about to get good. And in the fourth watch of the night, in the Roman watch, it's from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. I've often asked, why didn't he come in the first watch? And they wouldn't have had to go through the storm. You don't learn anything if you don't go through the storm. Or why didn't he come on the second watch? Or why didn't he come on the third watch? No, it says, and in the fourth watch, from 3 o'clock in the morning to 6 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea. There are people here this morning on campus. There's people watching online. You've been praying about something for a long time, and God hadn't yet shown up. He might be waiting to the fourth watch where he can get the most glory. You see, our God is a jealous God, and he won't share his glory with a pastor, a preacher, a church, or no one else. He wants all the glory. And and that's not because God is prideful, and it's not because God is filled with hubris. It's because he's God, and he's God alone. And you and I need to be able to trust him in that. But notice what happens in verse 26 as our story plays out. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a phantasma. It's a Greek word. It means apparition. They saw something. I don't know if it was glowing. The kind of glory of God was on Christ. I don't know. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. They saw something they expected not to see. They knew Jesus was dismissing the crowds. And Jesus had probably gone up into the mountainside to pray. But now they see Jesus walking on the water. But immediately Jesus spoke to them. He tried to calm their nerves. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. The Greek word is phobia, which we get our English word phobia for fear. Do not be fearful. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you. Well, he's stepping out on faith here. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now let's go back to the personality of Peter. More than likely, Peter just said that before he thought about it. He really didn't want to get out of the boat. Have you ever, and I, have you ever said something and you say it and you go, why did I say that? If they say yes, it means I'm going to have to go do something. I believe that's what happened here. And Jesus said, come. When, when is the last time that the Lord was very clear to you and said for you to do something? You said, hmm, I'm good. No, the Bible says, so Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. Now, I can understand Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, walking on water, defying the laws of nature. But a mere mortal like Peter, a flawed, imperfect man like Peter is walking on the water. And the Bible says that as long as he came to Jesus, he was walking on the water. But notice what happens. What happened to him in the first century happens to us in the 21st century. But when he saw the wind... He was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. But you got to give it to Peter. Man, he, he put everything on the line. He stepped out of the boat. And in recorded history, Jesus Christ and the Apostle Peter are the only two that's ever walked on water. Ever. And we see him sinking. That would be me. That would be you. He cries out, Lord, save me. And sure enough, he does. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and he took a hold of him and saying, Oh, you of little faith. Now, a lot of people look at that, Oh, you of little faith, and think that's a negative. Now, I think he was speaking into the life of Peter to say, You're capable of so much more. 
Oh, you have little faith? You are capable of great faith. Why did you doubt? And most of the time, you and I get in trouble as a follower of Jesus when we're fearful or when we're doubting. And it causes all kinds of problems in our lives. So when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Listen to this statement. You can choose to worry or to worship. I made up my mind a long time ago, and I'm not perfect with this, so please don't misunderstand you, Pastor. I try to worship instead of worry. I try not to be one of those going to wring my hands. I try to pray and make a decision. And I try to make the decision based upon the best information I have available to me. Sometimes you just have to go with your gut and say, this is the direction i got to go. This is what I'm supposed to do. So some of you today, I'm going to ask you to choose worship over worry. So in these last few minutes, what have we learned? Let me give you just a few things to think about. Number one, make failure a friend. Learn the lesson it teaches. Zeke is an aspiring baseball player like Andrew and so many others in our church. And I said, Zeke, you've picked the one sport that if you fail seven out of ten times, you do it for 20 years on the major league level, they'll put you in the Hall of Fame. It's the craziest sport ever. If you bat 300 and you do it consistently in the major leagues, you'll be one of the highest paid and you'll get in the Hall of Fame one day. Now, you've got to learn the lessons that failure teaches you. Meaning that if you get struck out on a breaking ball, you know the next time I need to be watching for the breaking ball. And I'm using that baseball analogy because it so fits life. It fits everything that we're about. And so many of us today are are trying to let things that don't matter define who we are. Listen to this. You are not defined by your worst moments. You are not defined by your greatest accomplishments. You are defined by what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. And all the people said, Amen. Of course, that's what we are defined by. The finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So make failure a friend. Learn the lesson it teaches. Secondly, when you take a risk, you must be prepared to fail forward. Learn from it. Make the necessary adjustments and keep moving forward. Some of us have messed up in our past. No, let me rephrase that. All of us have messed up in our past. But do not let the past hold you hostage. A lot of our pastoral counseling and pastoral care to people is for folks who won't let go of yesterday. They can't move into tomorrow until they let go of yesterday. Do not let the past hold you hostage. I love number four. Get over yourself. Just get over yourself. If you were here last week, you heard me say that the universe does not revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around me either. It revolves around Jesus and what he's doing in our lives. Man makes his plans, but God orders his steps. And then lastly, it is what you do after you get up that counts. All of us are going to get knocked down. Some of you are down right now. This pandemic's been more than what you thought it was going to be. Oh, you've been able to worship online, but I've got to tell you, I've had to hold back. I've wanted to hug folks this morning. I've just had to restrain myself. I've given people elbows. I've done a couple of toe taps. I've knuckle punched. But there are some folks in our church family and in our community who've just been knocked down. But listen, it's what you do after you get up that counts. 
But Joel, you have no idea what all I've done in my past. You have no idea how I've blown it. Well, do not judge me by my past. I don't live there anymore. I'm not that person anymore. Oh yeah, I may have been on social media and there's some pictures from 2009 or 2011, but I'm not them anymore. I've tried to delete it, but that social media platform won't let me delete it. But let me tell you what Jesus did. He erased it. He forgave me of it. I've been cleansed and set free. So don't judge me by my past. I don't live there anymore. Let me conclude where I started a few moments ago. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. And above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. I don't know about you, there's a lot going on in the world today. But I made up my mind, I've decided I'm going to love people. Even when they don't love me back, I'm just going to love them because love will cover the multitude of sins. Well, Joel, I've been wrestling with this. What do I need to do? Well, today you've heard the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You need to believe the gospel. You need to believe it like you believe anything else in your life. You need to repent of your sins. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it also says in Mark chapter 1 to repent and believe in the gospel. You need to be baptized. I can't wait to baptize again. I'm going to get me a hazmat suit or scuba gear. One, amen. I'm going to baptize and I can't wait to baptize. And then live faithfully for Jesus. There are some of you here today and you've been struggling. And maybe today is a day of rededication. Maybe today is a day, this is the one defining moment that turns everything around. Just like Peter walking on the water changed him, prayerfully the gospel can change you.